0: You know, I I often tell folks, um, I learned more about God after I had children than I knew about God before I had children. I don't know if you all have experienced that or not, uh, but... um, in raising our children, we began, to, uh, at least I began to understand uh, scripture in a different light also, as I uh, began to realize that as a child of God, that, that God could be this parent who just loved me so much that he wanted to choke me sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, kids are looking like, well, what are you talking about? Well, you'll learn someday. Uh, but, but you know, we, when we had our ch- we wanted to raise our children, we, wanted to, uh, we, we didn't want to control our children, but we wanted to give them uh, freedom and responsibility uh, so that as they grew and they matured, uh, they could have more responsibility. Uh, so that as they grew and they matured, that they could uh, discover their gifts and talents and they could put them to use in the community where they live so that they might make a difference in the lives of other people in their community, uh, but in order for that to happen, sometimes we had to draw some boundaries, yes? Now, I know you all think, you, you, you kids, you think your parents just make up these boundaries to be mean, don't you? Sometimes you think they just create these boundaries uh, to be mean to us. That's what I thought sometimes when my mom drew boundaries. Uh, uh, but, but that's not really the case. The boundaries are drawn because we loved our children. No, really, we did not want our son to play in the street. It wasn't that we were being mean to him. It was that cars might run him over. And it was a possibility that if he played in the street, he wouldn't make it to maturity. Yes? See, boundaries serve a purpose. Um, They weren't intended, they aren't intended to constrain. They're often intended to protect so that life might be enjoyed. Now we need to hear that message as adults also, don't we? Because we often think that boundaries are intended to constrain when instead they are really intended uh, so that we might live fully see we know as adults that when we give our children boundaries we know that if they cross these boundaries there are potential consequences some of which can never be undone and as our children grew uh, those those things that they got responsibility for the boundaries they changed but the one thing that never changed is our hope That our children would trust us. That they would trust that we had their best interest at heart. And that when we said, don't eat that, or don't go in the road, we weren't just being mean. So kids, the next time your parents tell you don't, trust them. Trust that they know what they are talking about. You see, as we continue in Genesis, um, I I think oftentimes we hear these stories, especially these early stories, and we get caught up talking about sin and the fall and all of this stuff. And in reality, the stories in Genesis uh, chapters 2 through 4 are about trust. They are stories about trust. Who are we Going to trust. We often read these stories as if, uh, as if there's tests of obedience, but that's not why we draw boundaries for our children. They're not simply tests of obedience. They're because we have knowledge they do not have, and we want them to trust that when we tell them uh, not to cross certain boundaries, that they will not cross them. And so I just want us to think about this this, this story, especially in chapters two and three today. I'm going to unpack it rather than read all of those chapters. I'm going to read a portion of it. But but I, uh, we know this story, right? Uh, Genesis chapter two. It's it's another creation story. Um, it it sounds very similar to the story in Genesis chapter one, uh, but there are some differences in in in. Ch- In uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, the focus is on a God who creates, who brings order out of chaos, who shines light into darkness, who uh, gives things function and purpose and sustains uh, the world so that all of creation might thrive. Genesis 1 starts with with this chaos that God brings order out of. Genesis 2 begins a bit differently. Genesis 2 begins by, by saying there were no plants, because there was no rain or no humans. Genesis 2 starts with a picture of an earth that is barren and lifeless and is not thriving. And it's not thriving because there hasn't been any rain, and there has yet to be human beings who will care for and shape and transform the world. And so I invite us to enter into this story and to hear how this story, this story in Genesis chapter 2, if it's not familiar to you, I invite you to to go back and read it today. But this story paints this uh, picture of God inviting humans uh, to take upon themselves the commission that he has given them, this commission to care for the world. And so it says that God plants these trees and, and, and then God decides to create man and, and out of the dust He creates man and He breathes the breath of life into this human being. And then He gives this human being and says, care for this earth. And then uh, God realizes, well, you know, it's not good for uh, uh, humans to be alone because, you see, we were never intended to be alone. We were intended to be in relationship. And so God begins to bring the animals to Adam, and, and he invites Adam to, to give the animals names and to make up names for them. Now, I don't know about you, but I may have thought up some different names than Adam did. Uh, but, but Adam names the animals, and still God says, you know... Um, what Adam needs is another human being like him. And so, uh, God creates another human being to be with Adam. And at the end of this beautiful passage in chapter 2, we see that man and woman are living in this paradise, this garden that they have been entrusted to care for. And it seems like all is well and beautiful. But I want to go back and read from Genesis chapter 2 in verses 15 through 17. I want us to hear this particular passage. In the middle of this, the Lord God, it says, took the human being. He settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm and to care and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the, the human, eat your fill from all, the garden, all of the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because on, that, on the day that you eat from it, you will die. Now, oftentimes, when we hear this story, we immediately focus on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that interesting? What is it with prohibitions that we immediately focus there? Uh, We miss in the story that it says God gave to humans that they could eat of every other kind of tree that existed. Now think about that. Have you ever thought about how many uh, fruit trees and berries, how many, how many nuts, how many vegetables there are for us? And yet our focus immediately goes on the prohibition. This idea of prohibition, it, it really bothers us, doesn't it? rather than looking at all oh, the freedom that we have we get fixated on the boundary that we are not to cross and especially in the story god yeah i mean i mean god says when you take of that tree you will die now we often look at it and hear that as saying god says well if you eat it i'm going to i'm going to kill you i think too often Versus maybe him simply saying, it don't, don't eat from that. It's not good for you right now. Now, maybe it would be good for them later as they matured. Maybe it's like, you know, playing in the street. Well, I don't know, maybe there's never a good time to play in the street. But, but maybe it's like other boundaries that, that maybe eventually, but they were not ready to eat of the fruit And so we hear the story, we, we have this beautiful story. As I said, it ends with this beautiful picture of freedom and responsibility. The man and the woman, they're in the garden, they're in communion with God. All is well. They have all of these trees and vegetation and fruit that they can eat from. Just don't do this one thing. Well, just like in life today, that doesn't go very well, huh? And we pick up the story in chapter 3. And here's what we read in in verses 1 through 7. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the snake, Oh, we can eat the fruit of the garden's trees but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it, don't even touch it. I don't think God said that. Huh, interesting. Don't even touch it or you will die. And the snake said to the woman, ah, you won't die. God knows that on the day that you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was beautiful. "'with delicious food, and that the tree would provide wisdom. "'So she took some of its fruit and ate it, "'and also gave some to her husband who was with her, "'and he ate it. "'Then they both saw clearly. "'They knew that they were naked, "'and so they sewed fig leaves together "'and made garments for themselves.'" Do you see what happened? Do you see what happened in the story? Adam and Eve stopped trusting God. Now we can debate about uh, about who the serpent was and about the tree and all, but this is really a story about uh, people who, who were created to live in trusting relationship with God and they decided to stop Trusting God. We hear in the story, we hear Eve adding a little bit to God's instruction. We hear in the story that they begin to talk about God as a third party rather than talking with God. We begin to see that they begin to scrutinize this boundary that has been created and and suddenly... Uh, Rather than seeing this boundary as something that protects them, they begin to see this boundary as something that prevents them from experiencing something better. It prevents them from, from going somewhere else where the grass might be greener. They begin to see God, rather than a God who loves them and wants uh, them to thrive in life, who gives them all that they need to thrive in life, they begin to see God as someone who withholds from them. God is someone who might be preventing them from enjoying or delighting in life. And so suddenly, this barrier that was intended to allow them to live with great freedom and responsibility, it becomes a barrier. A barrier that they begin to wonder, what will happen if I truly cross it? Is it really bad for me? Is God just saying that because God doesn't want me to become like God? And so, at some point, I can visualize Eve and Adam standing there and looking at the tree and just thinking and beginning to think, I don't know, I think if I eat the fruit, I might experience something grander than life as it is now with God, and so they reach, and they take, and they eat. Now, if we're paying attention to this story, I find it interesting. Often, at uh, times, we miss the point that as soon as they eat the fruit, there are consequences. We often hear the story as if, well, they disobey God, and God comes and punishes them. But as soon as they eat the fruit, something happens within them. They look at each other. Uh, before this, they were naked and unashamed, the story tells us. And suddenly now they look at each other and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed and they see each other in a different light. Now I don't know what this fruit was. I I don't know what change it brought about in them other than it gave them some discriminating ability that they must not have had before. Uh, But suddenly they begin to look at things and they begin to judge things and they begin to say, whoa, all is not necessarily good. And they look at one another. And they say, we got to do something about this. We can't be so vulnerable with each other. We need to begin to cover ourselves up and to put on masks and to put on fig leaves. And immediately we begin to see that the nature of their relationship changes. And then we're told, if we continue in the story, that God comes, it says, as was his habit. He came in the evening uh, to visit with uh, the creatures whom he had created. And when he comes to visit with him, they're nowhere to be seen because now suddenly they're hiding from God. Suddenly they no longer see God as this loving person who created them, but they see God as this person who might want to do harm to them because they've crossed the boundary. And they're afraid of God and they hide themselves from God. Wow. It didn't take long for this beautiful picture of chapter two to be disrupted and to turn to be turned upside down. Uh, Apparently, whatever happened when when they took a bite of that fruit, when they crossed that boundary, suddenly life was filled with anxiety. Their relationship with each other changed, their relationship with God changed. God comes and says, what's going on? And the man says, I didn't do it. She gave it to me. And the woman says, I I couldn't help myself. The serpent told me to eat it. And I don't know what the serpent did. It doesn't really matter because the story is about humanity and whether humanity will trust God or not. Now, yes, the story continues and says uh, God came and, and God announced consequences. I don't know if those consequences uh, were, were just inevitable or if God um, has announced them, but God comes and, and for whatever reason, after eating of this fruit, they can no longer be in the garden where they can eat also from the tree of life. And so God needs, uh, needs to chase them outside the garden, to settle them outside of the garden. And yes, he says, life outside the garden will be much more difficult. But notice, notice in the story that God does not banish them from his presence. Life outside the garden may be more difficult, but it is not life without hope and promise. It is not life without God. God gives them another opportunity uh, to trust Him, to live in trusting relationship with Him, to trust uh, uh, that, that He has their best interest in line. If they, if they live according to His ways, uh, that not only will they experience uh, communion, but they might experience this harmony again that they enjoyed in the garden. God shows His grace I don't know about you, but you know, I've been where Adam and Eve are. I've been in those places where where I knew what the right thing to do was. And I've chosen not to do it. Or I have known that something is wrong and I I have crossed that boundary and I have experienced the consequences of not trusting God. We have all crossed boundaries. We have all misused our freedom. We have all failed to uphold the vocation that God gave us uh, to bless others rather than condemn others. At times, we have been preoccupied with protecting ourselves, uh, of serving other gods, of trusting something else or someone else more than trusting God. And I don't know about you all, but if I'm honest with myself, in those times where I've really walked away and and headed down my own agenda and ignored God, I have experienced consequences not because God punished me. I've experienced uh, the brokenness and the hurt of the world. Enough. Enough to know uh, that that. I would rather live trusting God than trusting something else. And I have also learned, like Adam and Eve, that just because that I have broken that trust, God doesn't kick me out and say, get lost. God comes to me still in the midst of the consequences that I might be experiencing and says, trust me. Trust me. Live in communion with me. Listen to the voice of the Spirit that speaks to you. Listen to the the scriptures that have unfolded, uh, that continue to speak into our lives about a way that God calls people to live. Come, God invites us just as he invited Adam and Eve. He invites us to continue to recognize the boundaries that have been created for our own good and to celebrate the great freedom and responsibility that we have been given so that we might participate in creating a world in which all people, All people are invited to live in trusting relationship with God so that all creation might flourish and so that one day we might experience the garden anew and afresh as all creation lives in harmony and all brokenness is gone and hope and love reign. I invite the band to come forward. And I invite you all, as you ponder this passage this day, I invite you to just consider whether you see God as a God who prohibits and hinders, or if you see God as a God of love who wants the very best for you who continues to invite us to participate in his kingdom work. Let me offer up this prayer. Lord, open our eyes that we may recognize and resist the powers that seek to control us, that continue to invite us to trust them rather than you. Help us to trust and to cooperate with your spirit that longs to transform us so that we might be a people who offer hope and healing and wholeness in a broken world. In Christ's name, amen.